Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There'd be a lot of poop in my hands. <laughs> Seeing a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh yeah, Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Oh, someone stole a shark? I got stuff for you you don't even know about. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. It's really big mm-hmm. abduction vibes. Holy moly. It sounds like you were abducted. Man, it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the... Welcome back to Cribs of the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful Mr. E, and tonight I kicked Jay out of the studio by force. But don't worry, I replaced him with a wonderful special guest. Welcome our new friend, Pavel. Say hi, Pavel. Did I say it wrong? No, you're good, dude. Okay. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Um, So my name is Pavel Grigori, um, stage name. And uh, currently I'm in the middle of writing a book, more or less an encyclopedia of cryptids, conspiracy theories, and just weird things that exist in the world. And uh, today I'm going to be talking with all of you about the wonders and mysteries of the Himalayas. Definitely so. a very unique mountain range. It's 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 crazy to me. But yeah, you're, you're leading the thing. I'm just here to hang out. But please, uh, so give shout outs. You have other stuff you've done. So sell yeah. yourself. Um, Okay. Uh, To explain who I am, I am a ruthless adventurer and con man who's been everywhere from uh, the mountains of Nepal. I travel pretty much everywhere and anywhere. Um, I do a lot of writing, and I've actually just gotten my very first book published this last year. Um, It's actually a book in a Native American language intended to teach people a specific extinct uh, Native American language spoken in Southern California, where I'm from. Um, it's titled Hunar Koipinor, or The Bear and Hummingbird. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, I'll try That's to awesome. write out how I'll, it's spelled. because it's I'll have all the links. Uh, don't worry. So the links for everything you, you got tonight will be below in the description. Beautiful. So it, all right. I make it nice and easy for people to buy stuff. Perfect. But all that's, right. that's amazing. 
Thanks. You sound like a like a so, modern day Tom Slick. I unfortunately am not too familiar with that guy, but uh, he's I, the. I try to do a lot of different things. He's one of the first ones that paid for an expedition to go look for the Yeti, and then he paid for the expedition to look for Bigfoot, and then he paid for the expedition. Okay. Uh, sorry, Wi-Fi cut out. I hate this place. Uh, and he paid for the expedition to hunt for the Trinity's Alps giant salamander. Uh, but he also, oh. he, there's big, uh, the Institute of Science and Technology in Texas, he funded that uh, that college. He's just an all-around weird world traveler. That's pretty much what I aspire to do, too. Um, I've done everything from working on Alaskan fishing ships. Um, I went to a pretty prestigious school. Uh, I studied linguistics for about four years. And to kind of just explain my life story is I was planning on becoming a teacher. I ended up teaching for a very brief period of time and realized there's absolutely no money in it in the United States. And um, yeah, <laughs> so basically I kind of looked to other means. Um, I've been a salesman. I've been a tour guide. I've worked construction, fishing, you name it, a lot of bartending. And um, I've had the chance to go pretty much. I actually just got back from Australia um, as of a few weeks ago. Um I was working in the outback and working in the tropics. Uh, I don't know if you know the city of Cairns, but it's uh, far north Queensland, like north right Queensland, at the very top okay. of the country. So that's yeah. our second biggest listening country. Really? Yeah. We're actually All going right. on an Australian podcast. Well, next week of recording this, so it'll probably already be out by when this episode comes out. But huh. yeah, uh, yeah, I love Australia. I mean, just that's one country me and my wife want to go to very soon. Uh, and It's... Then, Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say it's it's a pretty awesome place. People are just off the wall over there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was working for a place called the uh, Royal Karangara Hotel uh, at one point. It's a place that's infamous for having chicken racing. <laughs> um, <laughs> How does that work? Google. I, uh, you get a whole – the chickens are very well taken care of. They're, they're well yeah. fed. They're treated yeah. nicely. Like You don't have to worry about any sort of abuse, but – he gets a little RC car, and you put a bunch of little chicken feed into the back of the RC car, and you have it running around a track over and over and over again. So, <laughs> so yeah. I love. So, I would sit. I would never leave the hotel. I would sit there and watch chicken races all day. Well, that's pretty much all you can do. It's a town of three hundred people called Tambo. But, um, just chicken races. I love it. Yeah. So we. So have done. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, so if things don't work out for me as an author, I can always become a professional chicken racer. Professional but, chicken racer. Um, yeah. oh, we have so. pig races up by us. And, and you're in Ohio, right? Yeah, or? northwest Ohio. Uh, there's a place called, oh gosh, the drive Through Zoo is what it's called, uh, in Port Clinton Bay. And you could drive through. There's elephants, buffalo, giraffes. You, you're in your car. And they warn you, don't, don't yeah. bring a nice car. Because uh, you're in with the animals. Um, and lock your doors when you go through the lions. But you could drive through the zoo, but they have pig races every Sunday. And it's a whole bunch of pot belly pigs, and they're trained. And you they jump off a little dive board into a swimming pool, get out on the other side, then run the rest of the way. And you would not believe how, yeah, how athletic a pot belly pig can be. These Every one of these pigs would beat me. And I'm not the best <laughs> shape, but... I thought I would like to think I'm better shaped than a potbelly pig, but I'm not. Apparently, I'm motivated. I mean, pigs and pigs and hogs are just you know tough creatures. Oh yeah, it's uh yeah. I could tell you a story. A buddy of mine who had a farm and uh, he's trying to 
kill one of his pigs or something for a barbecue. And uh, it's probably a bit of a brutal story story to share on the, the podcast. It's all good. But, yeah. Well, anyways, the pig comes onto his farm. He's like, you know, brings it over to the slaughter and everything. And uh, he's got a ball peen hammer, you know, while it's eating walnuts or something like that, even pig feed. Smacks this thing on the head with the hammer thinking he could kill it in one shot. No. No. Thing just keeps eating. Doesn't even acknowledge it. So. <laughs> I 100% could see that. Like, uh, yeah. you ever heard of the term cow puncher? I have not. So I, I've uh, done a lot of work in the, in you know, the southern U.S., Texas, you know, Texas specifically is where this comes from. But that's mm-hmm. literally how they direct the cows is you'd punch them in the head. And the cows didn't care. Like, they, it's not because it's not hurting them the same level it would be hurting us. But it's enough to let them know to start going that way. So they'd yeah. call them cow punchers. Big skulls. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, it takes a nail gun to break their skull, so they're not... Uh, yeah, it's just like my cousin Frankie, but... um, He got shot with a nail gun? <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I'm just saying a tough skull. Oh, tough skull. I thought your cousin Frankie got shot with a nail gun. I, like, no, that's, you got uh, an that's... interesting family. So do I, but... No, so, yeah, so you've you've had a world traveler's experience. Uh, so you've been in Nepal. I'm assuming you've seen the, the Himalayas. Yeah. How was that? Um, I mean, they just seem breathtaking from pictures. It's I didn't do a very in-depth tour of Nepal. I kind of was running out of money, and I wanted to make sure I could get to Cambodia next. But um, it, there's something else about it. It's it's a country that not many people actually know anything substantial about. You know, we've kind of – I'd say the Western perspective of Nepal has been pretty poisoned by the hippie trail. You oh. know, you think it's this big country of like, oh, yeah, I'm so enlightened. I'm going to go here and do a meditation retreat. And it's it, – yeah. You've got that as an option, but um, don't forget there was a civil war that lasted over a decade um, between Maoist insurgencies and the, the royal government. Um, it had a uh, a monarchy. It was one of the last uh, Himalayan monarchies to kind of still remain an independent. Um, and, and the country, I mean, it's it was never colonized. The British led a couple of campaigns in there and weren't able to accomplish anything. Um, and it actually, they fared so poorly against Nepalis that they actually would hire Nepali soldiers as uh, Gurkhas, one of the most elite regiments, and which is still used today by the British Army. So Nepal is, to me, a pretty interesting place. Um, I did a little bit of a motorcycle tour. I went between Kathmandu and Pokhara, and then I took a motorcycle pretty much all the way around the city and in the outlying countryside and all this other stuff, and it was it was incredible. There's, there's something just insane about being able to ride a motorcycle up a mountain, go through a cloud, and then be able to look down on it. That, so It sounds amazing. We just did a Patreon episode today we recorded uh, about man-eaters. And the number, the second most, when well, at least in modern times, kills by any single animal comes from Nepal. And it's a tigress that a, yeah. the I can't remember her name, it's named after the village or the town, but a hunter had shot her in the face and broke both her canines, and she killed everybody for years. Uh, yeah. They yeah. estimate they have 500 bodies on her total, but there were several villages that just disappeared, and they think it could have been her. She was famous for coming in town during the day, killing people in alleys, and walking around outside of houses in the middle of town because this cat was so wounded, and tigers are incredibly amazing, powerful animals. And now you shot one in the face and you didn't kill it. So they yeah. they got mad, uh, but a yeah, female tiger. Uh, so five hundred is our hard number, but one uh, estimate puts her over five thousand. I've five thousand. 
Yeah, because there's three or four pounds (laughs) that disappeared in her rampage. Yeah, I've heard about that, Tiger. I I think the you're actually able to... um, They did this with the Maneaters of Savo, which I think they're the the two lions that have supposedly the highest kill count of any big cat. Um, Oh, the Ghost and the Darkness? Yeah, exactly, that movie. Which... um, I got the but script the, still uh, the here. tiger, <laughs> perfect. The tiger that got shot in the face, though, partially it's, um, that was, it started attacking humans just because it couldn't get another food source. Right. Um, you know, if a tiger's not able to bite, if it can't get its claws into anything like a water buffalo, then, you know, a soft, squishy human that's can't run faster than 10 miles an hour is fantastic prey for it. Oh, yeah. And then, so, that, then it's angry. Uh, yeah. Champawat. You ever heard of that place? Champawat. Okay. Yeah. That's where the tigress was was from. Champ a yeah. I don't know anything over there. But so yeah. Uh but yeah, she actually won a war with the in or with the yeah, the in Indian military got called in to kill her and she ran him back out of the country. That I've heard about that. There was a book, I can't remember what it was called, but um I ended up reading it, and basically the military attempted to ambush it. But, you know, a tiger, the way that they were approaching it, the way that they were trying to surround it was not a very conventional way to do it. These were soldiers, not hunters. Um, and so I think they inevitably hired a, a guy from South Africa. I could be wrong. Yeah, here, it was. He uh, he... It was. Oh, gosh. Corbot. Corbot. He's killed five yeah. man eaters on that. The top 10 man eaters list, he's killed half of them. That's, so he had a pretty yeah. big reputation. They they, uh, they paid him quite a sum of money, but after that, he immediately became one of the leading, uh, basically the flag holder for tiger conservation. So he put yeah. a lot of that money back into tiger. He, he is an all right man. Uh, most people hate big game hunters, but he he did it all okay. He put a lot of money back into conservation. But we're here to talk yeah. about you and cryptids and the Himalayas. So what do we got oh, first? Right. Um, so let's, I think probably the best way to walk into this is just to kind of talk about the Himalayas themselves. Um, now, not sure how many people are aware of this, but the Himalayas are the tallest and in fact, the youngest of the mountain ranges on earth. Um, they grow very, very quickly. Um, they're still growing today. It's because the Indian subcontinental plate is slamming into the Eurasian plate and, um, it stretches a very, very, very long distance. Um, if you include the Pamir Knot, which is kind of more in Central Asia, to count as the Himalayas and the Hindu Kush, um, you're stretching all the way from Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, all the way out to, to China, southern China. Um, and when you have a place with a unique geography like that, it's going to impact the cultures there. Um, as it gets settled by people over the course of thousands of years, they're all going to develop their own kind of independent viewpoints. Things are going to be disseminated from here and there. Um and it just kind of it impacts the way that people view the world. You know, I think you might have heard this, but like, you know, with Egypt having a very consistently flooding Nile, um, they tended to have a much better view of the world around them and by extension, the afterlife and the myths and stuff that they held belief to. They thought, oh, since this earth is such a nice, easy place to live in, the afterlife must be just kind of a continuation of that. It's got to be the same thing. Meanwhile, Mesopotamia, which is settled between the much more irregular Tigris and Euphrates, um, people there didn't have as much of a positive outlook on life. And in fact, a lot of Sumerian religions or Mesopotamian religions didn't really have much of a belief at all in the afterlife. They thought things are gloomy, the gods are cruel, things suck, because 
but life sucked. So people within the Himalayas, on the other hand, um, it's a much more brutal way of life, but um, they did have a couple of saving graces. Um, the adoption of Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, I really want to get into that later, Hinduism especially, um, but it tended to lead to less kind of aggressive and expansionist societies. Plus, there's just not a lot of land to claim. So you've got, um, this is way too small of a picture. I wish I could actually share it, but um, this is an old map from the 1890s, but I've just kind of tried to highlight some of the, the kingdoms that used to be there in, in the Himalayas. You had Sikkim, Bhutan, Tibet, uh, Nepal. These were all independent monarchies. Um, and as you stretch further and further, you've got Jammu Kashmir, the princely states, the British Raj, and um, Afghanistan. And if you count everything in the Hindu Kush, my personal favorite, um, which probably where I want to start, is Kafiristan. Um, Kafiristan was not exactly a nation, more just kind of a region of Afghanistan, or what is presently within Afghanistan. And it was very unique. Um, basically it remained cut off from the rest of the world, even from India, for thousands of years. They practiced an archaic form of Hinduism. The people there were much more likely to have like colored hair and colored eyes. You actually can Google it today. If you look up uh, Nuristan, which is the same region as it's known today, um, people there tend to actually have, a lot of them can look quite Caucasian. Um, now, sometimes they claim, oh, we're descendants of the armies of Alexander the Great, who entered here two thousand, two and a half thousand years ago, or were, you know, blah, 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 or something like that. But in reality, the most likely explanation is that they're just an Indo-European group that's remained mostly isolated for thousands of years. Um, and uh, anyways, they remained pretty much independent up until 1898, when the Afghan king at the time, whose name I can't remember, I think it was... Dost Muhammad, I could be wrong. Uh, he invaded, converted the people from uh, their beliefs to Islam and uh, gave them the name of Nuristan. Kafiristan means land of the unbelievers. Nuristan means the land of the enlightened peoples. Hmm. And um, it remains one of the poorest and I think most violent regions of Afghanistan today. So not that yeah. not too enlightened. Very enlightened. <laughs> they got very enlightened. Yeah, exactly. But um. I personally find them interesting just from the fact that they managed to basically form a time capsule um, of religion and language. And they're an Indo-European language speaking group. Um, I don't know if that means anything to you. If no. you're aware of. Okay. I'm a um, dumb biologist. I studied linguistics yep. for uh, yeah a little bit, but to basically explain is, um, you know how there's kind of language families, yes. like Italian, Spanish, and French are all related mm -hmm. to each other, the Romance family. Um, as you expand that, and you include other languages that are related, but much more distantly, it becomes um, like a, a much larger language family. And there's one which stretches all the way and counts every language from Gaelic to um, Hindi, called the Indo-European family. Um, basically, people who are Caucasian, uh, I don't necessarily mean like just white guys, I right. mean like just people that are of, originally from the Caucasus, um, spoke these languages. Um, lingu linguists themselves have basically been able to kind of, uh, what's the word here, just theorize and come up with uh, some archaic terms that they think would have actually been used um, in the Indo-European languages. And um, 
just essentially you're able to kind of trace certain cultural and linguistic commonalities between these different groups. Um, I think somebody's making tea. It's all so. good. <laughs> Don't know if you can hear that. The power of editing. Perfect. Um, but essentially just with uh, these languages and stuff, we're able to actually um, theorize some commonality between not just uh, language and not just culture, but religion as well. Um, I've got a chart here, which is not very easy to see, but, um, you know, it's basically just covering uh, certain Indo-European terms. Stepping back a little bit, what this basically means is that religions of Indo-European languages, the endemic ethnic religions, meaning those pagan religions that evolved around people, um, are all essentially related. And that means that basically everything from the Norse pantheon, the Greco-Roman pantheon, and even Hinduism are all the same religion, just separated by thousands of years, thousands of miles, and space and time. So, and, and there's evidence of this. The, yeah. the ancient, the Hindu, the Indo-European term for uh, sky is, uh, I've got it written here, Dio. And that took on two different meanings. One, there was just using it for a term for the deities, because where do the deities live? They live up in the sky. And that became Dewos. Um, or it also became uh, Sky Father, like Deus Peter. And you can actually find, just as languages developed over time, uh, we theorized that it became, like, Deus Pater became in uh, Proto-Italic, um, Deus uh, Peter, which quickly became Jupiter. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, or Proto-Hellenic, where it was Zeus Pater, Zeus the Father, Zeus Pater. And then even in Hinduism, there is um, Divapita, or God the Father, which later became Akasha, which was literally the god of the sky. And I can get into other things like how Diwos became Tiwas, which became Tyre, which was the Norse god of war. But you can find that, you know, it's either the sky, sky father, it's either literally the god of the sky, the, the heavenly father, or um, the god of war. So like the three big tenets of ancient human society just kind of represented there. And you can find that it, basically this means all pagan religions within the Indo-European realm are basically the same thing. I think it's pretty neat. So It is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very interesting. I'm, I'm learning a yeah. lot. I, I, I am. It's, that's why I've been quiet. It's hard to get me quiet, so I'm impressed. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I also tend to talk over people, so if it's, I say anything you don't understand, I'm a just, bulldog, you know, so don't worry. I do the same thing. Perfect. All right. But it's um, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's because of that. I mean, and since we're talking about conspiracy uh, conspiracy theories and just weird stuff in history, um, that was part of the reason why um, it, Heinrich Himmler actually sent expeditions into yeah. South Asia. He sent them to Tibet, which is not an Indo-European group of people. Um, there's Sino-Tibetan, which is much more closely related to, say, China, Japan, Korea. But he showed an interest in Hinduism because that was the last um, extant Aryan religion. You know, I mean, it, even though very distantly related to, say, Wotan and, and the Germanic gods, but it was still sort of the same thing, just thousands of miles away. Um and actually, I could get into it, but I think probably one of the most bizarre things, um, maybe, I don't know if we can breach this as a topic, but uh, esoteric Hitlerism, oh, uh, we, that we, was a movement. We've okay, talked about Hitler ahead. a lot, so don't worry. Okay. I, well, I'm 
let me preface too i'm jewish so like don't oh. get any <laughs> even better no it's 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 because their obsession with the occult in the strange you know it it pierces all the stuff we talk about yeah it's still in the yeah. modern day so it's it's he's gonna come they're gonna come up you know it's just how it is yeah. uh they're well, awful I mean, just, awful you know, people but they research this stuff you know probably the most aggressively of a lot of groups because uh, they really yeah. didn't care as long as they, they wanted their answers very very they didn't care who was standing in the way of getting that answer they were going to try to get their to answer. Frame, yeah, and it was also to frame their own narrative, to just kind of yes. push the narrative oh, that they were pushing and connectivity to the ancient Aryan ideal and everything. Yeah, but, we talked um, about Icelandic witches and oh. uh, what Himmler wanted out of them and how they framed their stuff for, uh, well, you know, for the Germanic, you know, the, the great Germany religion that they were trying yeah. to form. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Long-winded. Well, actually... Since you brought up Iceland, I just think it's kind of interesting. I believe when the Nazis first made their expedition, they sent a group of people to Iceland because they thought, oh, look at this ancient Norse culture cut off from the world. And they just saw a bunch of basically poor as shit fishermen. And they're yes. like, what the hell is this? So, <laughs> they, uh, so Himmler's, yeah. I can't remember the guy that Himmler sent to Iceland. You may remember. But they found Icelandic witches, quote unquote, and mm. they made them perform for a photo and it was crazy. And they recorded, uh, you can still find it to this day, uh, the recording of that one, the one Icelandic witch, they made her like basically do a song that she would use to make a spell. But most people believe that it was just because she had a gun pointed at her. So she started singing. Yeah. Uh, but there is, even today, you would find a decent amount of um, Scandinavian, like this oh, is sure. practiced, I think, up until the 50s even, but like uh, house magic. Yes. And a lot of superstitions. So, But I think that the thought behind that was they wanted her to do more than she was able to. And so she, right. when the gun's pointed at her, she started performing. Right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, but yeah, because they wanted, they wanted their narrative filled. And those people yeah. weren't able to do it naturally. Uh, so they made them do it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. They're... Yeah. yeah, one of the but, worst group of people to ever live. So, but yeah, yep. cheers. And indeed, Lachaim. But um, uh, where was I going with that too? Um, oh, sorry, I got you off. I don't know. Himmler, uh, Himalayas, Nepal, not Nepal, Tibet. Nazis, the Himalayas, Hinduism, all yep. that stuff. Uh, well, the point that uh, one of the things I was bringing up was just uh, esoteric Hitlerism, uh, oh, which yeah. was a very niche not very big thankfully but just very strange um ideology that stemmed out of i think the 50s and 60s um there were a couple of authors miguel serrano savitri devi and they were both people that were kind of i guess you would call them orientalists at the time people obsessed with eastern culture and um they noticed some certain similarities between nazis obsession with uh, aryan and indo-european religion and the bhagavad-gita and this is something that I wouldn't say I'm an expert in, and I may actually be kind of wrong for a few things. So please feel free to correct me. I don't know um, if any of so. your listeners hear this. You know, please don't send me any death threats or hate mail. But um, we live in what's currently known as the Kali Yuga or the Black Cycle, and within this Kali Yuga, uh, there's I believe Vishnu, the maintainer. Um, in Hinduism, there's three main gods: it's uh, Brahma, the creator; Vishnu, the maintainer and uh shiva the destroyer and uh 
Vishnu is supposed to basically maintain the cycle currently and come down, I think, at 10 incarnations. And uh, basically the belief is that one of those incarnations was Adolf Hitler, which is bizarre. That's a hell of a take. But when you think about it in the extent that he was one of the most influential, one of the most, uh, certainly most powerful figures of the 20th century, or one of the most powerful figures for the last few hundred years, um, you know, you can at least see and understand the frame point that they're coming from. Right. It's really bizarre stuff. It's definitely not something I agree with or support or condone in any way, shape, or form, but it is interesting. He has changed so. the world, and he will continue to change the world for centuries. So I, yeah. I get that part of it. Yeah, not for the better, but he did change. He did actively change the majority yeah. of the planet. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, I think the words of Savitri Devi, I, I wrote it down in the quote in this book as I was writing down all these different entries. Um, the most significant European of our time. Yeah, which, I'll agree. Yeah. Not for so, anything positive, but it is accurate. Definitely. But, yeah. So it's um, that's just one example of kind of how Hinduism and the beliefs that currently inhabit and inhibit, like inhabit the uh, Himalayan mountain range can actually impact the world today, or just kind of have a weird influence on uh, you know our field of study, cryptic stuff. Oh yeah. So yeah. So where are we heading to next? Uh. I think maybe we should talk about Tibet and Nepal. Just go to the other side of the Himalayas. Sounds good. Um, You're the boss. Okay. Uh, Tibet and Bhutan. Actually, let's change it from Nepal because Bhutan and Tibet are more closely related. Uh, Tibet was, I'd say, one of the more influential kind of countries within the Himalayas. Um, Certainly one of the bigger ones. Um, Covers the entire Tibetan plateau. And... uh, Bhutan is a predominantly ethnically Tibetan country. Um, That's not to say that they're literally Tibetan, but, I mean, they fall within the same sort of ethnic group as Tibetans. Their language is closely related. Their writing system is practically identical. um, And their beliefs in Buddhism are basically the same. Um, Now, think of it sort of almost like Germany and Austria. Like, there's Germanic people, but, you know, Austrians are not Germans. Germans are not Austrians. Um, now Tibet and Bhutan are different because they've adopted Buddhism, Buddhism itself having grown out of Hinduism. Now there are some tenets. I am not a Buddhist. I am not a Buddhist priest. I am not in any way seriously qualified to talk about this stuff, but, um, the main tenets of Buddhism is that we are basically here to acquire merit, um, and Dharma and escape from the cycle of samsara or suffering by attaining, uh, nirvana or enlightenment. Um, I don't know if these terms are ones that people have heard much, but yeah. Um, so as far as it goes with Tibet, one thing that I actually find kind of interesting is, uh, I've got a little picture on here that I love. Um, what you have right here is a picture of the rock ogres Shrinmo. Um, I may not be saying that correctly, but she was a demoness who basically existed within the land of Tibet um, dominated the region, and as Buddhism was brought to the country, uh, according to legend, this demon was subdued and put under the land. And the different monasteries that we have throughout Tibet are sort of like gigantic acupuncture points over the body of this demon. 
Now, she's not a demon in the same way that we think of in Western terms. I mean, yeah, malicious, mostly spiritual entity, you would label that as a demon, but... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The other ways that you would interpret it would be, say, like a, an ogress or a, a gigantic spiritual monster. Um, so when, for everybody not, at home, when we talk about in Appalachian, the small G gods, it'd be something similar to that. Uh, where We talk about Appalachian folklore and stuff, and there's these li- little G gods. Uh, that kind of seems like the same thing. These are spiritual or supernatural beings. They're not big G gods. They're not demonic, but they are. they exist in... In nature, so that's kind of the feeling I get off it, at least. I would need to know a little bit more about them, but that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, Something kind of, you know, yeah. roughly similar. Yeah, but Shrinmo was basically subdued and is kept in place by the different, uh, uh, what is it, the different monasteries and temples scattered throughout uh, Tibet. The picture here that I kind of was trying to share shows the different monasteries and their locations. You've got Lhasa, which is, of course, the capital of Tibet, right over the heart, surprisingly. And then the other ones are over the hands, the elbow, the shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that idea, actually, I could be wrong here, still applies to Bhutan as well, them being kind of the cultural little cousins of Tibet. Um, I don't remember specifically where I heard this from, but I heard that the Lama who actually came and subjugated the demon over uh, Bhutan. Please forgive me if I'm wrong here, but uh, I heard that he submitted the, or caused the demon to submit by beating him in the face with its dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <so> like, <laughs> his name was like Guru Laksang or something like that. I wish I could, I wish I could find this thing, but I read it years ago. But I thought it was hysterical when I read it. That would that would and, work, um, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, just beating a demon in the head with your dick. That's. Uh, Thank God we don't practice that with exorcisms today. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think it's a hell of a good story. It is. But um, yeah. But uh, the thing. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just yawning. It, it's just it made me laugh. You go on. Yeah. But this idea that there's some sort of uh, you know, almost gigantic entity tied with the land that needs to be you know subdued in order to make sure things are positive and healthy. I have heard this before. I haven't found a lot of writing that substantiates it, but I've heard supposedly um, because Afghanistan used to be a Buddhist country um, for a very long time. You know, you have the Buddhas of Bamayan, which were destroyed in, I think, 19, you know, the 1990s. Um, Supposedly that there was a demon for Afghanistan as well. But with the coming of Islam, with the destruction of the monasteries, you know, these great demons that caused plague, famine and war among the people were now released. And that's why at least according to the story, why Afghanistan is so messed up. Um, Have have you ever heard of the the Japanese demon stone? I have not, actually. So, a very similar thing. Uh, It was a gigantic rock. And I mean, uh, so here in the uh, part of the U.S., we'd call them a glacial erratic. I don't think that's where that one came from, but just this gigantic stone that's out of place. Nobody really knows how it got there. 
uh, but they said it was that it was sealing a demon in, and if it ever mm. broke or it was ever moved, demon would get out, and plagues would start, and blah blah blah. Well, in two thousand early two thousand nineteen, uh, it cracked in half, and nobody could explain why. And then COVID happened. Great timing. Yeah. So that's uh, it was a lot of a lot of older Japanese residents believed that that it was the demon. It was the demon at work uh, causing global destruction. Uh, but kind of a similar thing, you know. Once it broke, it was out. Huh. Okay. Actually, it sort of reminds me of. Um, do you know of Tamerlane? Mm-mm. This is more Central Asia than it is Himalayas, but. Uh, Tamerlane was a descendant of Genghis Khan and one of the rulers of uh, what is modern-day Uzbekistan. And he was this miserable, horrible conqueror who, you know, pillaged and raped his way across most of Central Asia. He even made it as far as India. He made pyramids out of human skulls, supposedly using the heads of up to 70,000 people. Like, really nice, friendly guy. And um, supposedly he was buried and his grave was found under Stalin in the 1930s. And um, as they were exhuming it, and they were getting ready to take his body out to bring it out to Moscow, um, there was supposedly a curse that they found on his tomb, which said, uh, "Ye who opens up this uh, tomb will unleash a curse more, or will unleash an invader more terrible than I." And this was literally a week before Operation Barbarossa, the largest invasion in human history. Wow. So, yeah. So the and. Yeah. Yeah, here's the part that kind of gets a lot more blurry and conspiratorial, but supposedly, um, as supposedly Stalin eventually learned about this and they brought Tamerlane's corpse out to uh, to Moscow and everything and were showing it to the Red Army and to his officials. And um, supposedly as the years passed and Stalin finally learned about this, he thought to himself, why did you do that? Why did you just unleash this curse? And supposedly he had a bunch of, uh, I think they were mullahs and, uh, you know, because... Tamerlane, I believe, was a Muslim, um, basically give him proper funerary rites and put him back into his uh, tomb. And this was, again, like a month before the victory at Stalingrad, um, 1943. Wow. So, yeah. That's, it, it's amazing stuff. Sorry, I got you off track. I'm famous for tangents. Ah, so am I, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, if, yeah, I, I ended up in Australia because I ran out of money in Cambodia. So, like, it's just... <laughs> My life is just one long tangent. That's a but, um, <laughs> I end up in Australia because I ran out of money in Cambodia. All right. Yeah. Well, Cambodia was awesome. Honestly, that was, I think, one of the favorite countries in Asia I went to. Um, you've got Angkor Wat, oldest, at one point, the largest city in the world in the 15th century. You have government ranges where you can go, uh, you know, shoot rocket launchers and throw hand grenades, which I did. It's expensive as all hell, but it was worth it. And um, you also can see the the killing fields, which are uh, another level of macabre. That's that's something that I've never seen before in my life. Oh, so. we definitely have listeners that would go. Believe me. Yeah. I mean, we have two of them. I'm pretty sure are serial killers. <laughs> uh, don't worry. They oh, said they never Ohio, kill us. Probably. No, one's oh, in perfect. Australia and one's in California. Well, I'm in California right now, so I should probably be a little worried. Yeah. You don't say that. As far as these guys know, you're in you're in Oklahoma. Okay, so jumping back to Tibet and Bhutan, um, one of the other things that I want to just talk about, and this is sort of in the reference of talking about uh, geography impacting culture, 
Um, the Himalayas, as you know, are full of small passes and narrow crags and valleys and stuff that are all, sometimes they can be critically important. Um, so this led to the development of, within Bhutan specifically, um, Zhongs. Uh, these were fortress monasteries where the, the monks and people who would live there um, would be pretty much the only serious martial force in the area. Um, they would be basically put there to get taxes for the government, to um, protect against raiders, protect trade, and, you know, just basic sort of outpost stuff. Um, they also had these in Tibet as well. I can't remember what they were called, but something similar, presumably. And um, with the evolution of these fortresses and fortress monasteries, you heard about something as well, which I find pretty darn interesting, um, known as the Bhutanese Shadow Market. Um, basically, this is just a black market uh, for spiritual goods within Bhutan. Um, pretty much run, like, I mean, obviously there's no physical market, just like an actual black market, but as temples and everything form networks with each other, supposedly even today it still exists. Um, monks and that sort of thing, just trading secret, illicit spiritual goods with each other. Um, that includes tankas, which are these gigantic kind of scroll things. I've got a picture of one right here, um, which can supposedly contain demons or powerful entities and stuff like that. Um, supposedly, you can buy human souls, you can buy Buddhist relics, um, something with magical spells, just basically serious spiritual voodoo juju stuff. So you're talking That's about this black market through the... the... Through these temples, not yeah. temples. Uh, uh, what did you call them? I'm sorry. Uh, Zhongs were the Zhongs. term that you use for um, uh, for Nepal or not Nepal, Bhutan. Um, but one thing that I actually find a bit interesting as well, um, you know, you were mentioning, can you buy cryptids? There are um, to kind of tie this into Bigfoot, one of the big staples of what you guys talk about. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the skull of Kumjung. Is that the scalp? Yeah, that's the, the yeah. top of the Yeti skull that they have in Nepal. Um, relics and parts of Yetis as well would presumably be within the Zhang. Um, basically, uh, as as well, there is, there's different kinds of Yetis. You know, every single yeah. culture has a different term for it. Um, you've got the Chuti, um, you've got the, I think it's Yamyal, or, and then you've also got a, uh, the, my personal favorite is the Rangshimbombo, um, and that is a Tibetan, <laughs> sounds like a dance move from the forties, but, um, the, the Rangshim Bombo is actually, that one is, I believe from Tibet and it's about three to five feet tall. Looks just like a Yeti, reddish brown fur and everything. Um, does not like people, but it's just a, a lot shorter. So um, I think in our Rang Pendek episode, we talked about it, uh, cause it's kind of similar to the Rang Pendek from, uh, well, you know, Vietnam, uh, Seoul, you know, that kind of area, which is another three to five yeah. foot tall primate like red hair. Very not happy with people. Yeah. But sorry, continue. That's, I mean, it might be closely related, I, but um, the, the term actually, I know in Indonesia, the term orang, like in orangutan, um, that literally means man. So orangutan, I think in Indonesian means man of the forest. Um. So Rang Pendek or Pendek. Um, I, th- I don't know what it means. You're the language guy. I think it I meant. I presume it's something like wild man or something yeah. like that. But, um, or little yeah. man because like 
I, I don't remember. It's been a long time since we've done that episode, but we had the translation no. for it. But yeah, uh, rice, uh, or not rice, uh, uh, farmer stealing, like they would steal crops. They were often seen on the edge of fields, uh, not very big. A lot of people connect them back to Vietnamese rock apes, which my grandpa yeah. would tell us stories of way before we were into any of this stuff. Your uh, grandpa in Vietnam? Yes, or? he was an oil tank driver. Huh. Uh, so he was driving the big silver oil tanker on the front lines. He was getting shot out. He said he was driving like sounded like uh, popcorn because how many bullets yeah. were hitting the tanker. Uh, oh, God. But so yeah. they'd have rock apes and stuff like, and they hated the rock apes because at night when they were hiding, the rock apes would throw rocks down at you and make a lot of noise. The Viet Cong could find you. Uh, yeah. So they're more of a mm-hmm. nuisance than anything. Yeah. I believe there's there's even like documentation or after action reports where they're talking about rock apes. Tons. But, um, uh, yeah, a lot of people believe that they may be the first uh, non-direct human hominid found because of how much actual physical, well, not physical, well, paperwork evidence from the Vietnam War we had. They were real, like they are real. Just if just the amount, like you're saying, the action reports and just everybody, all these Vietnam vets would talk about them, and they wouldn't talk about yeah. like they're Bigfoot or you know it's something spiritual. They're like they're just a big animal. I don't know what you guys are. Wanting from me, you know, they're just a big animal. They were annoying. We'd shoot at them, uh, but yeah, they got shot at a lot. Yeah, well, it's interesting when you say that they were just animals and stuff. With uh, as far as the yeti goes, as far as um, different interpretations of the yeti, um, certain Buddhists actually believe that, um, or certain schools of Buddhism believe that um, yetis can acquire merit. Um, they're just as much a spiritual being as they are a physical being. Um, I remember I heard you guys once uh, talking about quantum Bigfoot theory. Mm-hmm. You know, he exists in multiple places and stuff like that. That reminded me and made me think about the Yeti itself, too. Because um, if the Yeti can acquire merit, then it also can reincarnate and it also can achieve nirvana. Yeah, so um, what's merit? Pretend uh, I'm Merit dumb. is kind of... Uh, that's more of an archaic term, like when... Uh, Western scholars back in the day were studying Buddhism and didn't really know how to describe the terms, but merit is basically exactly the same thing as karma. Um, okay. Just the positive stuff that you the get. Good, so. Getting good stuff through, like, or getting good credit, kind of, I guess, for a yeah. layman, because I, I don't know. But so, like, you know, when we talk about, at least from my limited understanding, you talk about karma, there's good karma, bad karma, you know, if you acquire bad karma bad stuff happens to you, you acquire good karma good you know good stuff can happen to you vice versa that kind of deal yeah, you get good karma you come back as a holy man you bad karma you come back and you're french um, <laughs> <laughs> we have no listeners anymore in france i'm sorry guys we didn't do it on purpose it just i needed somebody to pick on yeah uh the australians sorry love it that. pick on them they don't care fair enough oh uh, we have so many of them in uh-huh. our patreon now yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay, so the three types. Like bogan. What'd you say? Just come back as a bogan or something in Outback Australia. Oh, there but, you go. Um, so we have yeah. three types of yetis. Uh, and is there one? So one's the big white one, one's the big brown one, and then the one's the little red one, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, actually, I could be wrong here, but just from my own research into the matter, there are no big white yetis. Okay. Um, even the oldest historical accounts of them are always describing them as uh, black and reddish fur. And uh, I think basically people adopted the the white Yeti look because they're just thinking, oh, it's up in the 
that, that was a Western interpretation. They're thinking, oh, it's up in the, the very far, far north reaches and frozen lands, so it just wants to blend in like a polar bear. But you know, there's there's really nothing up there. That's uh, I think mountaineers refer to it as a dead zone. Yeah. There's, uh, there's nothing alive up there. So. It would be very, very difficult for an organism to have extended life up there. Uh, yeah. It just, there's, there's, it's the mountaintop. It's always frozen. There's no, like you're saying, there's no biomass coming in. So for anything yeah. to live there would be very difficult. There's no, uh, the Himalayas that high don't have any mountain goats. They don't have anything like that. You know, it's extremely the, high. Yeah. And even the snow leopard, which I believe is like the highest altitude predator, like land predator that we have, that's not pure white. It needs to be able to blend in at lower latitude or lower elevation. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. There are uh, the Himalayan grizzlies out there. Uh, I don't believe no, they're they're very very endangered. Most of them, most countries they're in, but a lot yeah. of people credit them to a lot of the 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 brown, black, and red, you know, kind of uh, yeti sightings because they're they're just you know they're not as big as like a Kodiak or anything like that, but they're formidable bears for sure. Yeah, there's um. I think there's even bears, uh, brown bears in Afghanistan as well. Yes. Uh, they're all over the damn place. Yeah. Bears are I, just big pigs. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I wish I had the quote somewhere, but it was a description of one of the first Westerners to supposedly see the Yeti. Um, I don't seem to have it with me, but basically this was in the 1840s. It was one of the first Western scientific and you know diplomatic expeditions into the Himalayas. And um, cannot for the life remember me uh, the name of the guy, but it was something British, unsurprisingly. And um, basically, he claimed to have seen a large bipedal creature with reddish brown hair, kind of just trying to get away from everybody. And um, his summation was that was an orangutan. That's not possible. Orangutans live in Indonesia. That's, I would you know, be more impressed if it was an orangutan rather than a yeti. Yeah, <laughs> I would be very more impressed if an orangutan had made it into the Himalayas. That would be crazy. Yeah, because it'd have to swim across the South China Sea. It would have to cross through the jungles of Southeast Asia, then make it all the way to the Himalayas, where it's going to freeze to death. So, but yeah, yeah, early British explorers are always fun. Yeah, always fun how they yep. describe things. Uh, Unregulated use of heroin and. Uh, <laughs> You know, opiates. And it's, it's a different time. Small senses of superiority leads to very interesting perspectives on the world. Oh, gosh. But um, We talked about... I'm sorry, I keep getting off track. Have you heard about the last... The, this, uh, the Sahara Pygmies? Uh, you mean the Khoisan? Uh, or? I, now I'm trying... The, the, this is the Sahara, one that's fully uh, extinct. I am not aware of them. You, you mean the Sahara or you mean the Savannah? No, the Sahara. The desert. Oh, uh, where the Sulcata okay. tortoises are from, uh, they mm. were they maxed out at like three and a half foot. They made it into the tw- or the nineteenth century barely, uh, but the other tribes in Africa around the Sahara were selling basically these guided tours to hunt them, and these British all these British explorers would pay to hunt them. There was one taxidermied in was still in public view until like the seventies in England. Oh God! Because they weren't viewed oh, as people. Like human. Yeah. Well, they used to do, um, what was it, human zoos up until the 1960s. Yes. And 70s, oh, gosh. Yeah. But yeah, so that's but, a complete um, group of people. That they went extinct. The last one died in like 1890. 
but they were literally the tribes around them that you know the normal African tribes would like be like okay you know for this price we'll show you where they live. Uh, but yeah. they were so small, but they could survive in the Sahara. Uh, they were known to live in like Salcata tortoise burrows and stuff like that, which everybody at home, you know, the, the gigantic burrows. Uh, lions and hyenas yeah. live in the in Salcata tortoise burrows, so they're not, you know, they're like houses. These these tortoises, these giant uh, tunnels they dig, but they were they were the only people that could survive in the Sahara all year, and we hunted them for sport. Kind of love humankind, right? Yeah, but um, and then the lo- their neighbors sold them out for it too to make a buck. Yeah, well, that's part of the course, basically everywhere. But um, uh, proximity breeds contempt, hmm. I think. So but, where are we um, heading next, or what are we doing now? Uh, no, there's a, a couple other things I can talk about. Um, my notes are not as complete as I had wanted them to be. Oh, we're um, already going to have you back on, so don't worry about that. God bless. Thank you, man. But um, there, the one other thing I think I can at least talk about is just kind of, uh, have you ever heard of an Abaraman? Nope. Go for it. Okay. This is, this is an ancient cryptid. We're talking like two and a half thousand years ago. Um, basically, uh, how much do you know about Alexander the Great? I know he used vinegar to melt boulders. I know he took uh, elephants. So... Nope. Sorry, the Wi-Fi cut out. Uh, so I know he used vinegar to melt the boulders as he was going through. I knew he took elephants over the mountains. Uh, only one third of the elephants survived. That's you're thinking of Hannibal. That's uh, you're right. A Carthaginian oh gosh! So, so you see, I know nothing. Yeah. I know nothing about Alexander the Great. I know about Hannibal. Okay. So um, there you go. Well, perfect. Then I will walk you through perfect. Alexander the Great. Thank you. Uh, man, so great. We know nothing about him. I- <laughs> <laughs> uh, with uh, Alexander the Great. Macedonian, or you know, you could just basically say ancient Greek king who basically came to be one of the most prolific and widespread conquerors, one of the greatest greatest conquerors of all time. Uh, his empire stretched all the way from Macedon, included Egypt, and stretched all the way into India. Um, this was a man who, when he approached the Oracle of Delphi, you know, the greatest oracle in the land of all time, supposedly, um, she said, My God, you are invincible. Um, so this dude just basically, it, you don't get a better commendation than that. Like, no. dude, that's, imagine if you were like the a fervent Catholic and you talk to the Pope and the Pope's like, dude, you're friggin' awesome, dude. But um, long story short, Alexander the Great conquers pretty much the entire known world at the time, uh, defeats the Persians, defeats the Egyptians, everybody from Syria, uh, from Syria all the way to the Punjab of India. And, um, one of these regions that he did conquer, he was one of the few people in human history to properly conquer Afghanistan. Um, now, this was back when Afghanistan was, I think, predominantly Buddhist um, and had their own folk religions and stuff as well. But when he conquered the regions of Afghanistan and the Hindu Kush, supposedly he went into, or his surveyor went off, whose name I can't remember, went off into one of these valleys. And um, what did he do? He basically just was trying to find stuff that was interesting to kind of go back and report to the king. And he found a, a race of people that supposedly had backwards facing feet. Um, and they were referred to as a barimon. I think that some ancient Greek term, I could be wrong here. Greek is not my speciality, but basically there were a group of people that could supposedly run so fast that they couldn't be caught. And um, 
you know, they just kind of did their own thing and slowly faded out of history. Um, Europeans were aware of them because when Europeans were studying the classics, you know, all medieval literature and stuff being based off of Roman and Greek literature, um, they would come across these accounts of a barman, and you'd actually find them referenced in, like, church-sponsored texts or weird, uh, what's the word, grimoires and stuff for centuries throughout Europe, um, but without a shred of evidence. Anyways, this actually can kind of tie, uh, I'm going to tie this to another thing as well, Chinese Bigfoot, or referred to in some time as the Feifei. Um, I'm taking this from, I'm going to pronounce it horribly, but this is a guy in the ninth century of China called Duan Changxi. Oh, that's and perfect. And he describes the, yeah, I, well, I probably horrible by I don't some know. Chinese guy's standards, but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah. I get sarcastic. You go right ahead. No, I can't pronounce That's anybody. I misread names all day today recording, so. Yeah, but he describes the Feifei as, um, if you drink the blood of the Feifei, you will be able to see ghosts. It is so strong that it can shoulder 1,000 cattle. Its upper lip always covers its head. Its shape is like that of an ape. It uses human speech, but it sounds like a bird. It can foretell life and death. Its blood can dye things dark purple, and its hair can be used to make wid wigs. Legend has it that its heels face backwards, and hunters say that it has no knees. So, that's a hell of a description. I mean, honestly, it sounds kind of like my grandmother. But, um... Long <laughs> story short, um, the thing that I just kind of like to cling on to here is the backwards-facing heels, meaning backwards feet. Um, that being a very relatively similar description to the Abaraman and being within a vaguely similar region. This is the southern provinces of China, which is not next to the Himalayas, but close enough. Yeah. And yeah. this is separated by about 1,000, 1,200 years. Um, but the thing is, the Feifei, the myth of the Feifei, would slowly grow into that of the Yeren. And the Yeren, you might be more aware of. Yes. It's kind of a modern, the Chinese wild man. Yep. And um, the Yeren actually did receive Chinese... Or not the Yaren, an expedition to find the Yaren um, was funded actually by the Chinese government. Um, I, there was actually, you could say, almost a bit of a Yaren craze in China in the late 70s and mid 80s. Um, there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, basically, you know, Mao, even though he was very against a lot of Chinese folk beliefs, was um, interest amongst the Chinese elite to find a hominid in its more natural state because they wanted to find, this is going to sound very quite outlandish, but wanting to find a hominid in this natural state uh, to prove that the hierarchy of capitalism is unnatural to the human condition. You know, if you can find somebody who's basically the same thing as a human or very closely related to a human that doesn't need to live like a modern human, you know, that's giving credence to the communist cause. Yeah. Uh, this was, of course, China in the 70s and 80s, so weirder stuff has happened. But, yes. Um, uh, the thing that actually I wanted to share is an image of a year, and of course I got it from Google, um, but this was from somewhere in China. And this is actually a drawing from the 1980s. Um, it looks very old, but just, I mean, just to kind of give an example of what they pictured this guy to look like. Um, now, these expeditions turned up essentially nothing. Um, to their credit, though, they didn't really know how to conduct an expedition. They sent the military out looking for it at one point, and having, you know, 60, 70-odd guys armed to the teeth, shouting and driving orders and stuff is not really conducive to finding anything. 
Um, they actually found a couple of bodies that they thought, oh, these might be Aaron, but it turned out to be the bodies of deformed children. Um, <laughs> some farmer had buried out, like, you know, this you is pretty You dug gruesome, up my dead but, kids? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it was an inconclusive kind of expedition, but the fact that the state government of China actually sponsored this, um, I think is pretty interesting. And um, I just like the fact that we can kind of draw, you know, similarity because the Fei-Fei is relatively related to the Aaron. Um, they're both Chinese wildmen. Yeah. And you can tie the Fei-Fei much more distinctly to the Abaraman. Um, it's just, I kind of like the representation that's all kind of interconnected. Yeah. Yeah, it, so. it, it is amazingly. But that you've been a great interview. Sorry not to cut you off quick, but... It is past time, and I have to get ready for getting drunk at Euchre. But I will promise jealous. all of our listeners, you're already coming on for a part two, if not part three. Because uh, I've Fantastic. learned so much tonight. Uh, but please, uh, I 100% agree with you, by the way, that it's when you look back in time, no matter how like crazy the tale of the backwards foot man, there's that stuff that connects all the way up until the day. Uh, all folklore has its truth. Related to, yeah, Hinduism being related to the Greco-Roman pantheon and the, the Norse pantheon. It's we live in a very interconnected world, and more so now, more so than ever. And you know, I don't really have much of a magic school bus lesson for people, but just you know, keep an open mind. And uh, yeah, so so please do me a favor, tell everybody where they can find your stuff again. Once again, everybody, I'll have all the links below, but. Give yourself another, give yourself the elevator pitch. Okay. Um, I've got a children's book I've recently published. It's in the Tongva language, which was spoken in Los Angeles. That's where I'm from. Um, and I'm currently coming up with a book, still kind of working on the title here. But so far, the most likely one is Oddities and, Curio, uh, Oddities and Curios, an encyclopedia of the strange. And that'll probably be coming out in a few months. So. Awesome. I can't wait. And I, I want signed copies of both, so I'll have to send you some money. Uh, God bless. Uh, no, thank you again for coming on. We greatly appreciate you. Uh, I know it's been a long time in the making. I don't even remember when you messaged me, but sometimes this things, these things take forever. January and February, or January, were busy, a busy, busy month for us. But we're getting things more organized now. Uh, but yeah, thank you again. You know how we end this. I'm going to count down from three. We're going to scream bye, and then the outro will play. All right. You ready? Yep. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Crips of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review, and remember, there's always extra content on Patreon slash CryptoTheCorn.com. And don't forget, stay magical.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.